Morning, everybody. Happy hump day and welcome to the news agenda with me, Fleet Street Fox. And today I'm joined by the Mirror's political editor, John Stevens. Morning, John. Hey, morning, Susie. Uh, this is the People's Paper Review. Remember, everyone, so get into the comments, ask us your questions. Those of you listening later on podcast are just going to have to submit a letter of no confidence in the Prime Minister and see how many Tory MPs join you. There'll be one or two more by the end of the day, I'm sure. So what have we got for you today? Well, the mirror has splashed on the guilty verdict from the trial into the brutal knife murders of Grace O'Malley Kumar, her friend Barnaby Webber and the caretaker Ian Coates. Now, we'll get to that and some of the issues around it in a minute. But first, I want to take us to page 22, where it is revealed that the number and cost uh, of hospital work in removing children's rotten teeth has doubled in the past five years. Now, John, this can't all be due to a sudden increase in sugary drinks because we had those when we were young. I look at mine, they're fine. Um, and the rules on sugar are much tighter now, aren't they? So, I mean, why is it happening? Yes, we think that the most likely reason is because people aren't able to go and see a dentist. It's a total nightmare for people who haven't got registered to a dentist to find a new one. And so I guess if someone doesn't go to the dentist for a while, then these problems build up. And then you get the problem of people having rotten teeth that have to be extracted in a hospital rather than being dealt with by a dentist. And I feel I'm having to see my something dentist. Feel, something for a loose molar, do you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, one of my... One of my teeth, it's quite far back, is like slightly cracked. I actually cracked at um, party conference. I've not done anything about it. And I'm going to see my dentist tomorrow, who will no doubt tell me that I should have seen him immediately afterwards and that by leaving it for several months, I've done unknowable damage. So, yeah, I feel <laughs> hopefully I won't be adding to those statistics. Although I'm obviously not a child um, having to have that uh, tooth extracted in hospital. But, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, it's a bit grim, isn't it? If, and there's an awful lot of people who just can't really find a dentist. We've told loads of stories in the mirror about this. People who are ex doing their own tooth extractions, people who um, are struggling with sort of a, a face full of teeth that are getting increasingly worse because they just can't find anybody nearby who will take on NHS patients. What do you think, everybody? Have you managed to find a dentist? Are you doing OK? Have you got any kind of issues? Are you like John? You just left something for three months and really wish you hadn't because you're just too busy or you couldn't be bothered or you're a bit frightened of going to the dentist. Get into the comments and let us know. Now, it's often said that the dentist that you can find are too expensive anyway, and you can't afford the treatment. Many of them uh, aren't taking on new NHS patients because their books are full. And even sometimes then you have to supplement the, the checkup a bit. Uh, and also because some of the dentists, frankly, do want some time to do the more lucrative private work for which they can charge thousands. So you know, the true cost of all of that is that children losing their teeth earlier than they should, having to get fixed in a hospital when the problem has got so much worse, they've had so much more pain, and the whole thing is more expensive just to society generally. So 
Presumably, John, the Conservative government, which has been warned about this for a long time, which has brought on some of those rules about sugary drinks and so on to try to alleviate it, wants to save the taxpayer money. Presumably, they've got a plan to get more NHS dentists into the system. They've enacted it and the solution is on its way, right? Well, it's not quite like that. Uh, Andrea Ledson, Dame Andrea uh, Ledson, means trying to call her Dame Andrea Jenkins, Dame Andrea Ledson, remember her from back of when she used to be a Tory minister. She's back now as a public health minister, so she's responsible. One of the things she looks at is things like dentistry. And she says that um, a big package of measures is on its way, although hasn't yet committed to when exactly that package of measures is coming in. And some people are slightly cynical. They say, well, the government did promise to get ahead of this last year. They promised that they were going to bring in a recovery plan because of the problems with after COVID, that loads of dentists have had problems with massive waiting lists, or as you talk about people unable to find a new dentist but that hasn't really materialized so far and the point being made in that article by Wes Streeting who's Labour's shadow health secretary is because we are having to resort to emergency surgery in hospital we're actually spending more on dentistry but obviously what we're getting for is far less you know we're having problems with people having much bigger problems it's costing loads to deal with and actually if we were spending the money on people getting regular dental checkups then maybe they wouldn't need these expensive treatments exactly i mean the mirror is saying there that 40 percent of children two-fifths of all children can't even get access to a dentist for regular checkup which is astonishing and joe says care in the community is lacking under the tories well Nice of you to uh, point that out, Joe. We're going on to that in a in a moment. Elaine said, "I had private dental care when I had a decent job, but after being made redundant, dental care slid down my list of priorities. I just had a dead tooth ugh, extracted yesterday. Please keep your routine checkups, folk." Yes, it's just one of those things, isn't it? People don't think it's too important, but if you if you start having not having your dental checkups, cases of mouth cancer increase. Case the costs of just having teeth extractions increase, but it, they often there are signs in the mouth of other illnesses which they can catch nice and early if someone's regularly looking in there. Now, speaking of what Joe was saying, blaming the Tories for this, Labour says they've got a plan to tackle it, doesn't he? West Streeting says, we will fix this. But what is their plan exactly? Because all I've seen about it is some supervised toothbrushing at primary school, and I can't really see that that's going to fix it, John. Yeah, I don't think that's going to fix it entirely, but I think that it would be <laughs> helpful, obviously, um, most kids are able to get the teeth, they get their brush, teeth brushed at home, their parents are happy to supervise that. And some of the complaints have been like, well, maybe it's a bit nanny state saying that all kids should have supervised toothbrushing in breakfast clubs in schools. But that's something that is relatively cost free. It's not going to cost loads of money to do. And if it does, it might seem like a small change. But if you are doing that with millions of kids all across the country then the aim is that hopefully that will make a bit of a difference the other crucial thing is making sure that you're training enough dentists so both dentists and dental nurses to make sure that you are able to provide those basic appointments so people can get regular checkups rather than having to wait whether they're struggling at home and then end up in hospital as we're talking about 
Yeah, Eve says, I don't understand why checkups are now annual. You can pick up all manner of ailments via your mouth. I'm sure you can, Eve. I don't want to think about any of them, but I suspect that if that were six months and now it's annual, it's because there weren't very enough dentists to do it. Kelly Marie says, my son is five. He's not seen a dentist. I'm looking into private dentists from now. He's not lost his first tooth yet, but it is worrying. It doesn't really matter whether they've got teeth or lost their teeth. They need to go to a dentist just so they start getting used to um, having someone poke around in their mouth. My daughter, when she, I think, was about 18 months, she tripped over and she chipped a tooth. All right, a front one here. There's only a baby tooth, so I knew it was going to grow out. But I took her to a, a dentist and said, is there any way you can, like, because it was really sharp and she was cutting her, her lip on it. I said, is there any way you can, like, file it down a bit or something? The dentist said, well, I'll give it a go, but I don't think she's going to like it. And, of course, she wouldn't wouldn't wear it. Um, now she's sort of seven. She'd be a bit more able to put up with it because she's gone to the dentist every year. But if, you don't, if you're not taking your children regularly to a dentist, when then there is an issue and perhaps they do have to go and have an extraction early or something, it's far more traumatic for them than if they've gone regularly. But it's actually finding the time to take them and all the rest of it. Eve says, in Scotland, we used to have the dentist come to school to give talks and do checkups unless you already have a dentist. A school dentist visit would be a brilliant idea. You'd have thought Labour would support that because I think, John, that when they're saying you know, we'll have supervised toothbrushing and breakfast clubs. Speaking for the breakfast club at my daughter's school, those are the parents who work. Those are the parents who have the money to pay for the breakfast club every day of the week. Um, they are generally more middle class parents who are probably be able to afford the dental checkups anyway, who are going to the breakfast clubs. Some of those, the children who are missing out the dentist are the ones who do not go to a breakfast club. So how do I mean, to be fair to Labour, one of their big plans is that they're going to open up breakfast clubs for all. So um, they say that all kids will be able to go to a breakfast club. So I do take your point on that. But I do think that is something actually that they promised to sort out tomorrow. Yeah, but a, a, breakfast club means, a breakfast club means getting up an hour and a half earlier. And mm. if I find that difficult, then someone who is... Uh, you know, more finding more difficult, perhaps having a more chaotic household, <laughs> even mine is, then they're probably not going to be getting up an hour and a half earlier. So we'll see, won't we, whether that actually all works. Now, on to the main story of the day, and that mirror splash on the knife murders of two students on a night out and a caretaker on his way to work in Nottingham City Centre, along with the attempted murder of several others when uh, their attacker, a man named Valdo Calacane, tried to run them down with a stolen van. Now, John, some people might have forgotten this incident itself, which I think at the time was classed as a terror attack for a brief period, although it wasn't. Um, the trial sort of finally came back with a verdict yesterday, and that meant that uh, we all got to hear impact statements from the victim's relatives, didn't we? Yeah, although he was uh, guilty of manslaughter, but he wasn't actually guilty of murder, which caused a lot of upset amongst the families. One of... Um, the friends of, I can't remember who the friend, I think it was one of Grace's friends, was on TV last night and saying, for me, manslaughter is when you don't deliberately set out to kill someone, whereas obviously he was going around the streets with knives. It was obviously, it was intentional. It wasn't something he did by mistake, but an absolutely horrifying story. And we found out yesterday details of how Grace died as she tried to stop the attack. She was trying to uh, protect Barnaby from uh, being killed and she found herself also attacked by this guy and some really horrific details in this case and obviously very upsetting for the parents. 
there were quotes from uh, the mother of Grace, her mother, Sinead O'Malley. She told the court that she'd been able to return to her job as an NHS consultant anaesthetist because she was so absolutely um, upset by the death of her daughter. She just couldn't cope with it. She couldn't get over it. And so, yeah, just another absolutely horrific story of the impact of knife crime on the streets of our country. Yeah, it's pretty horrific stuff. And we saw some CCTV footage there, which was of Grace and Barnaby walking home, you know, on their way back after a night out, quite friendly, you know, pretty sober, just uh, just behaving themselves, not causing anyone any trouble. And uh, that was uh, shortly before they were attacked. Now, also, one of the impact statements yesterday were from Ian Coates's sons and one of them said uh addressing calicane directly he said you claim voices told you to kill innocent people so now listen to me kill yourself which is pretty harsh but um it's, it's got to be said barnaby was attacked grace bravely defended him losing her own life in the process calicane went on to stab ian coates stole his van tried to knock people down with it before he was arrested but the court heard Calicane was not a terrorist. He was a paranoid schizophrenic who was having a psychotic episode, claiming that he was hearing voices telling him to kill. Now, he had stopped taking his medication. He was hiding his symptoms from health workers who were supposed to be checking up on him. Uh, and I mean, John, you and I have probably both written this story a hundred times over the course of our careers. People who are mentally seriously ill can be very, very good at slipping under the radar, covering it up. Sometimes they go on to take their own lives and sometimes they kill others. But would this have been quite so bad, I wonder, if Calicane hadn't been able to get his hands on a double-edged combat knife? Well, I definitely think that. I also think that he didn't just go under the radar. He had been there on the radar. He had attacked a police officer before he hadn't been locked up and so that's why he was still uh able to commit this but yeah obviously there is a problem in the availability of weapons in this country and clearly if there were tighter rules on what weapons you're able to buy then he wouldn't have had this sword that he was able to commit such an awful atrocity with yeah well what do you think everybody do you think the issue here is mental health uh how we're not treating it properly that we need to do more for it that perhaps it's uh soft prisons we should have jailed this guy um, when he had earlier attacked a, a police officer that's what he was why he was being supervised uh and he he was not in jail which is that the best place for him to have gone would that have helped him would that have not helped him why would a prison officer have to deal with someone like this um or is the issue perhaps the access to these knives is it all three probably a bit of that i would suspect but what do you think so you know the tories have repeatedly said they're going to ban ban sort of hunting knives zombie knives and so on and they've conspicuously failed to do it um, on page two of today's paper is a very timely story of Labour leader Keir Starmer saying that he will get them off the streets. Under Labour, they would expand the current knife ban, uh, change some of the rules so that um, different serrations, different lengths and so on. More of these combat knives are covered by the ban that we've got. But is that going to do it, John? You know, I had to buy some new kitchen knives a little while ago and the Internet wouldn't let me do it. And I said, oh, no, the knives are very dangerous. Um, are you over 18? Tick this box. And then it was all fine. And that was that. And the knives came in the post without a single question asked. Well, Valdo Calacane was over 18. He's a highly intelligent man. He could easily tick a box. No, no reason that he couldn't. These knives are already not something you can't just wander into Tesco and buy. So are Labour's plans going to have the impact that we would like it to? 
Yeah, well, we know that this problem has gone round and round. In 2016, when the Tories first said that they were going to ban uh, these killer knives, and then we've had loads of different Home Secretaries here. I was looking up the list yesterday. So I think that was back under Theresa May. And then Amber Rudd promised it when she was Home Secretary. And then Sajid Javid did. And then Priti Patel did. And then Suella Bravman did last year. Now we've got James Cleverley as Home Secretary, hopefully bringing in some more legislation to tighten up the rules. But the problem is, each time they've brought in one of these bans, there have been other weapons that haven't been included. So I think at one point, the where knives were banned if there was kind of an offensive slogan or something about killing people on the actual blade and obviously so people just took that off them and continued <laughs> to buy them and there's been different rules about how long the blade can be what is the serration on it and Keir Starmer's here saying if I say I'm going to ban it I'm going to ban it um, which is obviously good news and good news to some of the families uh, of victims of this. So there was the case of Ronan Kander, who was a 16-year-old who was killed in Wolverhampton, I think in the end of 2022. And he was killed by a sword, which wouldn't have been covered by any of these bans so far. And his parents were actually saying at the last end of last year that when they'd spoken to the policing minister, Chris Philp. He had made a promise to them face to face that the weapon that killed their son would be amongst those that was banned. But actually, when they came forward with the proposed legislation, it wasn't covered. And so I think there's definitely room to tighten up these rules. Keir Starmer said that he'll do that, whether that will be enough. I mean, he says he's going to bring in a comprehensive ban. But as you say, there will always be some sort of knife that's been sold somewhere that probably will still be able to get around the walls because people do still need things like kitchen knives. Although there is a big difference between a domestic kitchen knife and some of these pictures when you look at these incredibly long, sharp weapons that people are able to buy online. And that is another element that Keir Starmer said he's going to look at is the availability of weapons online. That he says it's way too easy for kids to buy knives online. Uh, Steve Khan, who's obviously the Labour Mayor of London, yesterday he was actually about the same issue and he was saying that it was easier for kids to buy a lottery ticket than a deadly knife. I'm not quite sure that is quite true. I think that's possibly a bit of an exaggeration. But it is obviously still possible for young people to buy knives online. And that is something that clearly does need to be looked at. Yeah, Ray says, heard it all before. Nothing is ever done. Um, there's obviously a lot of complicated stuff as, as to whether they're capable of getting a kind of a knife ban done, um, considering the Internet and the way we all buy our stuff these days. Ashley says it's the privatisation of inpatient hospital care. There should be mental health sections with teeth. I'm sure he probably means, um, you know, with, with the ability to perhaps withhold patients. I mean, secure units, not spectre units, secure units. I think you mean, Ashley. Um, we don't actually want actual teeth in mental health hospitals or although you know that would end up we'll get back onto the dentistry issue again we don't want that um, no you've got so there's there's the inpatient problem there is the lack of mental health places there's a lack of proper care there's the fact that this guy wasn't uh in jail when perhaps he should have been for assaulting a police officer and whether or not even if he was in jail is that the right place for him to go to be properly supervised and treated so you know we've got the issues of how to get that knife uh do we have a right to force people to take medication for an illness if they don't want to 
You know, you don't have a right to put Sudafed in me if I have a cold, if I don't want to take Sudafed. So do you have a right to medicate someone who's a a paranoid schizophrenic? I don't know. Um, And how do we respond to all this in general? You know, uh, do we need more community care? Do we need less community care? It's a it's a bit of a mess. I mean, prison might be the safest place for him to be for us. But is it the best place for him or indeed for the victim's families? Paul's talking about stop and search. Um, we've also seen quite a lot of stories, Paul, about police officers who do do stop and searches. There was um, uh, Mark, oh, I can't remember his name, the New Zealand guy, Ratner, Ratana, uh, who was murdered by a guy that they stopped and searched they thought was suspicious. I think it was in South London or Croydon and um, was shot by a homemade gun that this guy had had on his person that wasn't he wasn't properly searched before he got back to the custody suite. And you know, sometimes we stop and search someone who's not terribly well, they don't react like, you know, you or I might react if we're stopped and searched. So that isn't necessarily a solution either. I mean, John, if we've all written this story, you know, a hundred times, we're going to write it again, aren't we? Uh, What's going to be different next time, do you think, under a Labour government or under any government? Is this ever really going to be resolved? Well, I think there's always going to be some sort of problem there, but we can obviously do something to bring the numbers down. You look at the numbers of young people who've died since 2016 through knife crime and 2016 is when the Tories first promised to crack down on these knives and actually 240 lives have been lost. So that is an incredible number of young people who have been fatally stabbed because of these weapons still being available. So I don't think it's possible for the government just to say, well, we give up, there's nothing we can do. Um, But I think there's loads of different elements to this. Keith Starmer at the start of the week on Monday was giving a speech about the civil society and saying that we need to work with community groups who work with young people to get kids off the street, get them, stop them being dragged into gang culture. You know, that's not going to stop all children going that way, but it could be helpful. But we know that the other problem with that is that loads of councils who in the past would have funded these sort of groups, they've had their funding cut or they're running out of money because of all the different pressures on them at the moment. And so we know that lots of these groups that might have got some resource in before now struggling for cash. And so, yeah, you might think that saving a bit of money, cutting these services at one point is not going to have much impact. But actually, after a few years, we can see that it does have a devastating impact. It does, isn't it? And I can't really see quite why the Tory government isn't actually being a bit more forceful from this. I mean, I think you named about six, seven Home Secretaries there who've said they'll do something and haven't. I think I can remember Suella Bravman alone saying that four or five times that she was going to ban zombie knives, never getting around yeah. to it. It's not like the knife manufacturers are Tory donors. What's stopping you guys? crack on you know if you want some want some widespread support for something you need some here you have it you know it's not difficult to do one would have thought but it appears to be almost impossible right uh that's a bit depressing isn't it well we have found some good news in the world for you and here it is Now, if there is one thing guaranteed to get anybody's goat, especially mine, it is a billionaire with, I think, about four houses uh, telling other people how to live. But that's what Prince William is doing. Putting, and he is actually putting a little bit of his money where his mouth is to build new housing projects on Duchy of Cornwall land that he now owns with 30 percent 
mix of social housing. That is three times more than the government basic minimum that is set and that other developers do. So he's actually creating more social housing than he has to. In a new garden city uh, in Faversham in Kent, that's awaiting planning permission at the moment. Now, the local Tory MP is having a moan about the traffic problems, but that's because she's got nothing else to criticise here, has she? So, John, is this proof, do you think, that we should return to a system of feudalism where us peasants <laughs> all rely on the lord of the manor to house and to feed us in return for our labour? Um, because democracy doesn't seem to have done the job. I love how this is the good news. I mean, usually the good news is there's some animal that's been rescued or someone's found a And this is the most controversial good news I think I've ever had on here with you. I mean, it would be good news for all those people struggling to get a house if they are able to get one. And, you know, I think actually Prince William should be applauded. This is the Duchy of Cornwall. Uh, remember that actually King Charles, when he was Prince of Wales, did lots to uh, build new towns. There's Poundbury, that strange, rather nice houses in um, Dorset. Yeah. <clears throat> they look rather traditional and there's all, uh, they're all quite fancy. I think that's where Dorset cereals actually uh, get made. So this is something that he's clearly taking the baton over from his dad. Yeah, there will be people saying he's got loads of nice houses around the country. But if they are doing something positive and good and it does something to ease the housing crisis, then surely this does count as good news. Yes. And surely if they can, if he can show perhaps that, you know, a 30 percent mix of social housing is sustainable, that you can still have, you know, turn a nice profit out of your housing development. Then other developers, one would have thought, would do the same thing or other local authorities might demand the same of developments in their own area. I suppose sort of setting a, an example, isn't it, which is what royals are supposed to do um, when they're not being Prince Andrew. So uh, at least, you know, there's there's something good happening and he's, he's doing something for other people, uh, although it doesn't involve giving up one of his houses because that would be ridiculous wouldn't it that's just good news just about there's not an awful lot of good news in today's paper but there we are we found some for you right thank you for taking us through all that john thank you everyone for taking part um we will see you all again next monday for another edition of the news agenda till then take care keep safe tatty bye keep bugging